0: My name is Tara, and I'm always searching for the connection between all kinds of people. Given the current landscape, we often feel divided amongst each other. It is inspiring to find the commonality amongst each other. My next guest works in the talent acquisition arena, working with the organization to find and bring in the amazing talent that makes Ohio Health unique. For today's episode, we will be talking about the inner workings of that department and trends to keep an eye out, in addition to his passion for music and the healing benefit that comes with it. Please give a very warm welcome to Brent Blackburn. Thank you for being here today, Brent.
1: Sure, my pleasure.
0: Absolutely. So, before we get into the nitty gritty here, we'll start out with some simple questions so the audience gets to know you a little bit more. So, share with the audience what is your specific title then at Ohio Health?
1: Sure, sure. So, I am a talent acquisition consultant. And what I do for Ohio Health, of course, is attract and retain talent for the organization as a whole and specifically in the nursing arena.
0: Oh, I might have to go into a little bit more detail about that because I feel like from my understanding, there can always be a different approach in attracting the clinical folks versus the non-clinical folks. So thanks for sharing that too. I didn't know that. Sure. Cool. And then within the same realm as well then, how long have you been working with Ohio Health then?
1: Sure. So that really simple question, right? Five years as an Ohio Health associate, but then an additional four as a Dawson associate as a manager. So grand total around nine years.
0: Oh, that's cool. And that's funny you bring that up because I actually know a couple of associates that started down the Dawson route as well and then made the transition to become like, I guess, a technical associate with Ohio Health. So that's a really cool piece of the story there too. So we'll try to talk about that as well. And then still going within that same realm then, prior to Ohio Health then, um, share with the audience, I guess, a little bit of your career journey, like if you worked elsewhere before then or anything like that you want to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, some history. Um, I I do have around 20 years of working history under my belt. So out of college, I worked in long-term care as an activities uh, director. And my role was to be more or less an events coordinator for the seniors in long-term care. And that was fun, but I had a little bit of a short tenure there, moved on into a different realm and uh, believe it or not into IT. So I worked for a few years um, for a company called Sarcom in town. And in short, uh, did a lot of help desk type, you know, assistance, you know, really a lot of fun, but again, didn't really find my niche. So I went into a completely different sector in higher education for several years. And that was with both a proprietary company out in Colorado and, and also with uh, one that we'd know too well as DeVry University in town. And I, between those two companies, I want to say I put in a few years of work. Uh, Really loved it, but um, ultimately found my landing in the medical field through Dawson, who hired me to uh, look at um, creating pools for Ohio Health, Um, in this case clinical pools of uh, radiology uh, technologists and kind of took off from there.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that as well. My first thought is, is that that's a very unique path. And I feel like it is one of the most unique um, stories I've heard as well. And talking with other guests as well. That's a fun fact too. Actually, my first job was at a retirement center as well. I worked with the um, dining room department um, and loved working for that company and thought about being an event or activities coordinator at some point. So that's really cool to meet somebody that also worked in that industry as well for a while. But talk about a really fun journey to go from like the long term healthcare retirement home system, however you want to call it, over to IT and then making the transition to Dawson. I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but hopefully within those different industries, you've been able to learn a little bit from each thing or each component and been able to apply it to what you're doing now then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the journey itself to kind of tie it up a little bit as to how did the bridge go from one to the next? A lot of it was born out of necessity and growth uh, from both a personal and professional uh, outlook, but to kind of bridge the gap, I left long-term care because of kind of the the, the emotional elements and um, the psychological elements that are involved with dealing with death and dying all the time. And I think that's when I knew that a clinical role, like being a nurse or anything like that was probably not my calling. Sure. So I ended up kind of segregating from that industry going, gosh, if I don't want to go that route, there's really, a, you know, there's really nowhere I can go at the moment. So when I jumped into IT, that was not my choosing. And when I say that, it, it, I went to a recruiter, and they said, "You have a really good background in customer service." And I said, "Yeah, I, okay." <laughs> and they said, "Well, we want to put you at this local company." This and and I didn't realize how local. I mean, literally born out of a garage in in Columbus. And I was like, "Okay, I guess you know IT. Sure, I, I don't I don't know Well but." don't get obsessed with that because it's really a customer service dispatch, you know, help desk type role. And I was like, all right, fine. So that's how I ended up there. And that was an interesting journey. I, I, a twist I didn't expect. I actually pursued higher education. I have always loved education has been a passion for me. And it was just a no brainer for me to look into working for college. I, I applied to tons of colleges. I would have loved to work with a bunch. So I said, no, let's see how this goes with DeVry. This is an interesting uh, college because it's it's not the traditional college. So I, I didn't know what would happen there. And I ended up moving on from that of all places and, and all reasons was because it was a hardcore sales job. So to be honest, I didn't realize that a, basically bringing in students was a for-profit, you better meet your numbers. (laughs) If you don't, you're gone type situation. And so I ended up losing the only job I've ever lost in my life was with DeVry. And I just, I hear, I learned so many lessons. Like, gosh, you know, if you go to a, to a for-profit university, you better bring it because the the expectations are to close deals, enroll students and do it monthly and have a, a pretty substantial goal every month. So After that, that's when I went back to school and I said, you know what, I need to change my resume. I need to change my path. And I pursued an HR uh, degree at DeVry um, at their Keller Graduate School. And once I graduated, almost just literally like weeks before graduation, I got the call from Dawson to come work at Riverside and to become a Dawson associate as a manager and um, manage their float pools. And uh, the rest is, is history.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for going into that deeper dive and kind of stringing the process because I was trying to fit the puzzle pieces. I was like, huh, (laughs) long long care facility to like IT and then over to where you are now. So thank you for um, stringing that together too. And like you said there too, within those different roles, it sounded like you took a little bit of it and it kind of helped lead to where you are too, as far as like the reflection piece and self-awareness piece. So that was really cool hearing that.
1: Yeah. Bottom line is it comes down to we're learning all the time. So if you're not learning, then you're you're not moving forward, for sure.
0: Yes. Someone working in the learning and development uh, department, that is our motto. I feel like if you're not consistently learning, then you need to fix that because I feel like every day is just a new day to learn stuff and work on yourself and develop yourself. So that's a very good point you bring up there. I love that motto. So kind of segueing into the uh, next question here then you kind of talked about it a little bit more, but when you were going for your degree in HR and decided to make that career change, was there any kind of decision or driving force that made you go to that degree and decide this is what I want to do moving forward?
1: Absolutely. So I have always had what I call a help gene in me. And that's basically someone who is a superhero all the time. And I realize now that being a superhero is not what we're called to do, but if we have a desire to serve, then there are certain professions that kind of lend themselves to that. Um, teaching is one, certainly, and nursing is another. It, not limiting to just these, but counseling comes to mind. A lot of professionals that, that serve others. And so someone was trying to, one day I was in a conversation with family, I won't reveal who, but and it was a hard conversation because what they wanted me to do is pursue an MBA. And I so- okay, give me your reasons. And their reasons were quite simply, you need to get promoted and make more money. And I said, well, for me, an MBA is like a crackerjack box degree. And I don't mean that to be negative um, because I I think an MBA can be a perfect degree for the right scenario. Sure. You wanna run your own business, you are in a leadership role and you, you're you missing some pieces. Uh, you wanna know more about the, the capacity of marketing, uh, accounting, finance makes perfect sense. But that was never me. I wanted to serve people in a very specific capacity, but I wanted to remain in business and I didn't want to, and I wanted to go to work for a company and not run my own business. So I thought, okay, HR feels about right. It's the service of other people. It's evaluating, analyzing um, workflows, hiring, and it just made sense. So I ended up talking myself into the Masters of Human Resource Management program as opposed to the MBA, and I have not regretted it.
0: Wow. Yeah, and and thank you for sharing that too. You bring up a lot of good points there as well because I feel like most of the time when Someone does pursue a degree, go to school, technical school, training, or whatnot, you got to have somewhat of a, a passion or at least a curiosity for that field as well. And like you mentioned there too, you've always had this sense of purpose or this gene in you that you've always wanted to help people. And the fact that you kind of listen to your thoughts and your intuition and where it led you to, that's just a very beautiful story to hear as well too. So just thanks for sharing that. Um, I feel like that'll definitely inspire people in hearing that story and recognizing what they're passionate about and what they can do in pursuing that as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So kind of in present day now then, maybe for the audience that's listening and they're like, I'm not really familiar what talent acquisition does, share with the audience then a brief synopsis of maybe what a typical day in town acquisition looks like or kind of bring us into that world and give us a nice glimpse of what that's like then.
1: Sure. Do we have about 45 more minutes? No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Take as much time as you need.
1: <laughs> all, all kidding aside. One of the, the, the traits or the tricks of the trade in recruitment is you don't have 45 minutes. You may not even have 45 seconds. Because <laughs> <So, Sure. laughs> the, impre- the impression that you make in recruitment is is a quick snapshot, right? Just people make an impression of who you are within just minutes of talking to you, shaking your hand, eye contact, your voice, what you say, how you say it, all of that comes into play in recruitment or in sales, if you want want to say it that way. But um, so what does talent acquisition do? I mean, ultimately a day in a life for me is being in contact with managers, being in contact with candidates, and being in contact with colleagues. So there's three three kind of branches. There are three uh, pieces of that tree. The contact with candidates is probably the most obvious because people are like, well, how do you hi- how would you hire someone if you're not in contact? You're right. So the contact is interesting because it can be via email or phone. Or even for some text, there are some recruiters that use texting to, you know, to draw people in or to communicate with them on next steps. So it just depends on who you're talking to and and whether it makes sense to go that route. So we are screening people. Another way of saying it is a snapshot of maybe 10, 15 minutes of here's the job. This is the money. This is where it's located. Here's a little bit of a snapshot of the culture you'd be stepping into. Does that sound good to you? If it does, I'll get you in touch with the manager and they're going to give you a day and a life of what it's like to, to work in that office, to work in that uh, department in the hospital, to, to really understand everything. If that goes well, then they come back to me and they say, awesome, three things. Give me the offer, what's, what's the bottom line, dollars and cents. How do I get onboarded? What are the requirements for compliance for me to start? And then what are the benefits? Do we want to talk deeper in benefits or do we want to keep it surface? That's that's the candidate's call. So that's the candidate side. Okay. And then – Then there's the manager side. So the managers are, you know, you could hear the words operator. Sometimes you'll hear that in in the culture. You'll hear um, someone who is a director level or has a specific management and department, or maybe even someone who is a system director or, or, or a larger overview of that department. And all those folks could be on the phone with me. It just depends on, you know, whether it's a meeting or whether it's an intake session Uh, Our intake sessions with our um, managers are basically us asking them, what do you want in a person? What do you want in a candidate? What's your business like? You know, what are your hours? We know generally nurses in offices work nine to five you know, 7 to 4, 30, 8 to 5, something like that. But what's unique about your office? Did you close at lunch? Uh, are you open till 6? Do you work any Saturdays? What specifically is unique about the office? Is it a gastro office? Is it a neurology office? Is it a primary care office, et cetera? So lots of variables with that conversation. Once that's done, then the job, of course, is posted. And then we talk to as many candidates as we can um, within within a scope, you know, do we need, do we have one position to fill, four positions, et cetera? And then once that's done, then the third piece basically is the relationship piece within HR. So who do we talk to? We talk to human resources information systems, so HRIS. Mm-hmm. We talk to anyone who is in the uh, HR resource center, which would maybe possibly help with that Associates benefits, etc. Um, we talk to of course anyone within our recruitment team uh, to find out maybe we are we are offering the same person. You know, Joe and Joe wants a job, but guess what? They're talking to another recruiter for, for a job. You're so right. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get together and we'll chat with them and say, What are you what are you doing? Stealing my people. No. Yeah, I'll right. just say, hey, <laughs> how much money are you offering this person? Because it better not be more than me. So yeah, but we'll kind of make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's other resources, but those our HR business partners we work closely with when managers are are struggling with uh, whether it be recruitment or or a new hire or something like that, and then our advice and counsel center in HR is also. Uh, resource that we utilize to get feedback on former associates or even folks within the uh, organization that are looking to transfer and managers are looking to get more data points on how they operate um, or how they've done so far within their roles so lots lots of stuff there and that's kind of kind of scratching the surface so
0: Wow. Um, thank you again for laying that out so beautifully, because I feel like you really don't know until you talk to someone that works or has been in that realm or that industry for a long time. But when you were bringing that up, my first thought that came to mind is you act as a liaison between so many different people and so many departments, you know, that you work with the HR business partners and that you work with the managers to find out what specifically they need in that role or that opening or that position, will you? And talking to recruitment, like how do we we find these people to make sure it is perfectly executed from that first phone call all the way up until the new associate orientation. But that's like the sense that I got yep. from that. And you guys do a lot of amazing work. I just want to say that too.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. And you're, you're spot on. That's exactly the time frame all the way up till, till they start that, that minute they're at orientation. So yep. yeah. Yeah.
0: And again, not to put words in your mouth, but I'm wondering like if you or really anyone in the HR department always has this great sense of feeling knowing that you're helping out someone with uh, getting into Ohio Health in their position, almost like a satisfaction or like a reward. Like I'm really helping this person maybe go on their next career journey or become the next CEO or the next CNO something like that. I've always been curious if you've always thought about the impact that you have and helping out that person.
1: Yeah. To be honest with you, Tara, that's what I would call a beer conversation. I always joke around about that saying if there's something more in depth than I'm telling people, I'm giving them a verbal cue that what I mean by that is there's depth to the question you're asking or the observation you're making. And I'll always say, yeah, um, that is, there's, there's so many layers to that, meaning that you're helping someone find a job and that could be significant for their immediate family. But when you think about it, all relationships are need to be mutually beneficial. And what yeah. I mean by that is, is that it's not good enough for me to hire, hire Joe or Mary and, and give them a job. It needs to be mutually beneficial for Ohio Health, which yeah. basically means I need to assess whether Joe or Mary really are a good fit, whether they be a fit for the overall culture of Ohio health or the specific culture of the department they're going into. So that's a whole nother, uh, I'm going to say a different feeling of a, a higher low depending on how successful you are at that. And so that's why it's so important to understand what the need is, to understand what the department is. And one of the things that I do have done in the past is I've done shadowing within departments in the clinical sectors and and really got uh, an eye-opening experience. And if I've got a couple of minutes, I can share with you some of my experiences within surgery to give you an idea of what I mean by that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to talk as as much as you want. I want to make sure the audience um, gets like a full story here. Please feel free to share as much as you like to. This is totally our table conversation. So bring whatever you would like to the table.
1: Perfect. So in short, the, the surgery piece was for me, it was, on, I was recruiting for surgery for about a year and a half. And I had been brought on to the team. This was a, a few years ago now, but I was a brand new recruiter with with recruitment experience. So that was helpful, but brand new recruiter to Ohio Health. And I ended up getting one of what I think is the most complex and interesting clients in surgery. So I supported surgery across the system. And what I mean by that is that both the inpatient worlds in the hospitals and the outpatient worlds or the outpatient surgery. And it was at doctors, it was at Dublin Methodist, it was at Riverside and et cetera, et cetera, Grant, et cetera. So in short, what that meant was, I need to understand what surgery is. Now, everybody knows what surgery is in general. I mean, you could quiz people, they'll be able to tell you. But Mm -hmm. what they don't know are the specialties within surgery. And they don't know the unique nature of the culture. So I got into, within the first three months or so, I started asking around, can I come in shadow? So I went over to Dublin Methodist. I went over to Riverside. I went over to Grant. And maybe one more hospital. I think I was at Doctors. And I watched three or four different surgeries, to include an orthopedic surgery where the surgeon was drilling into the patella or the knee. Right. Uh, to to include a fat reduction surgery. Um, sorry if I'm not giving you technical terms for that. I'm sure there's a, 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 a more <laughs> right. specialized term for that. Um, but that's what it was. Just being real with you. Right. Um, so and a heart surgery, which was incredible. Um, so so you're getting the point that. You know, the only way that I knew I was gonna earn some sort of respect because I'm not a surgeon. I'm not even a nurse. Right. And I'm not even a clinical person. So I knew that if I didn't go into that environment and show and learn as much as I could, show an interest. There's this saying I think it was Maya Angela that said, you know, people don't until you show them that you care, they they don't really They don't really get it. People say, yeah, yeah, you think you know me. Yeah, yeah, you think you know my world. But until you put yourself in their shoes, you really don't know. And so I came out of those meetings, not every one of them, but a couple of them feeling very different, Uh, different in the sense of my knowledge, different in the sense of respect, and also felt different interaction with the managers. Wow. (laughs) Because now all of a sudden they're thinking, okay, this guy just came into surgery. Now, just an FYI, I didn't stay in surgery for 15 minutes. I stayed in surgery for an hour or two. Whoa! And so I really got to see, and of course, I I had scrubs on. I respected the sterile field. And in fact, one of my favorite stories was one of the nurses, and she was in training, so with due respect to her, I remember her looking at me from the other side of the table And she goes, I wonder if this guy could help. And I remember one of the other nurses goes, yeah, no, he can't help.
0: (laughs) You blended in so well. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, um,
1: and so uh, the other fun part about that story is I remember going to, and I won't give away the location, not that it's a huge thing, but um, I remember going to one of those locations and the music was blaring. And you go, how in the world are you doing surgery? Well, let's think about this. The, the patient is under, right? So, mm-hmm. so really, now the next step is to figure out what kind of culture or environment do you want to be successful at the surgery? And for some folks, you need silence. For other folks, you need music. For other folks, you need chit-chat. Doesn't matter as long as it's really effective and it's respecting the patient. So it was funny. One of the nurses came over to me at a location and said, hey, HR guy, because they figured out I was HR. (laughs) We don't know why you're here, but um, we don't usually play this loud of music. And I was like, listen, and I basically, I wanted to say this, hey, nurse, here's the thing. I'm not here to evaluate. This is not an associate relations piece here. (laughs) This is me trying to learn. I'm a recruiter. So what's really funny to this day, there's a longstanding joke for me. When people assume you're in HR, that means you know recruitment. When people assume you're a nurse, that means you know L&D or you know surgery, or you know, and we all know that there's disciplines within nursing. It could be in dozens of different disciplines. And in HR, just because you're a recruiter doesn't mean you know associate relations. And just because you know associate relations doesn't mean you know payroll, and et, et, et cetera. So it was just, it was absolutely funny. I'll remember that. Too. It it was just, hey, should we lower our music? Is this okay? I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: not here to evaluate you. <laughs> just,
1: just, just learn it from you, so, but yeah.
0: Right. You said that's a story that you'll never forget too. And I feel like within that story, it just brought us back to the early conversation is that there's so many layers that people aren't aware of. And you really don't know until you talk to that person or as you did, you went into that world for a short period of time. And that's great. So that way you were able to bring that knowledge back to your talent acquisition recruiting side to make sure that you were able to find the right nurse or the clinical role. For that position, it is a two way street, and that you want to make sure you find the right person, but that it also meets the needs of that department that has that open position that they can embody the culture as well. So yeah, it's definitely a two-way street, or you got to meet in the middle for sure. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that ever stops in life. Right. I mean, not, right. not to take us a different direction, but I'll bring this full circle with that mutual fair benefit phrase that I use. That's not mine. I don't credit, I'm, I'm not taking any credit for it. Sure. That was an actual value at one of the companies I work for. And they had values such as integrity, compassion, love, um, performance, stewardship. They had all these values and some similar to House. some overlap, right. but one of my favorites was mutual fair benefit, and that's the idea that no matter what relationship you're in, it doesn't work unless both parties are benefiting. Yes. Now, what's interesting about that piece, there's a story behind it. I bumped into one of our managers at this company he said, Brent, what's your favorite value? I was like, oh my gosh, so many good ones. You know, obviously love, I'm a sucker for that, so fine. You know, but more business-oriented, integrity, yep, I like that one. And I really like, you know, a couple others. And he goes, can I share mine? I said, yeah, sure. He said, mutual fair benefit. I said, of all those that are sticking out, the integrity, the love, the performance, the all these, you're picking mutual fair benefit. Why? And that's when he explained that at the core of every relationship is that. And if that doesn't go well, then you don't really have a healthy relationship. What you have is one person pulling on another or something like that. So it really stuck with me that anytime that I interview, I want to make sure that there are keys and pieces that that associate to be or that candidate can really, really sink their teeth into it. And they're little things. They're not big things. It's not, oh my gosh, we're the number one hospital system in the state of Ohio. And yeah, that's awesome. In Central Ohio, I think Ohio Health is a fantastic choice. And and I think in a lot of ways, some advantages over the other are competitors. But that's not the reason for some people. For some people, that's not really, they don't care. What they care about is helping patients, or what they care about is providing for their family benefits, or what they care about is pay. Whatever that might be, it's my job to identify what's the carrot, so that I can say whether we have it or not. And on the other end with the mutual fair benefit piece is if it doesn't work mutually, then it's okay to walk away from the relationship because ultimately you you do want to have some no's. You don't want all yeses. I mean, yes, we're an attractive organization, but we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not going to attract everyone, and it and it shouldn't be our goal to do so. It should be our goal to find the right puzzle pieces fitting together, not find hundreds and hundreds of people that we can throw onto payroll. And so I've that's always stuck with me that that relationship piece of it has always got to be there, or people will leave. And I will also say that a lot of people think that pay. Is the number one reason that people either stay or leave a job. And statistically, that is not accurate. So that's a whole other interesting conversation. But um, yeah, it's an area of passion for me for sure.
0: So before I forget here, I remember mentioning earlier in the conversation, you know, within healthcare, maybe other places, you're hiring for clinical people and then for non clinical people. So I'm just a very curious person by nature. Like, are there any differences in trying to find and recruit clinical people versus non-clinical people besides like the actual degree and the technical skills?
1: Yeah, sure. So it kind of comes back to, you know, how someone is matched up or fit back to that puzzle piece a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a makeup of a a, a type of person. What I've learned is from a clinical perspective, even there's differentiation within the clinical sector. So for instance, your surgery nurse, you can look at pay and you can look at degree, but a surgery nurse and an L&D nurse have both the same pay uh, in the inpatient world and the same degree, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that most people know. So why would you go into L&D versus surgery? Well, those are different types of mindsets generally. So a mindset in surgery is a no nonsense, let's get this done. I don't want to meditate over this question. I just want an answer and when will it be done?
0: And if it isn't
1: done, then why? And then we move on. And then we go to the next topic. Whereas an L&D nurse, not that they can't have a D driver personality, or if you're familiar with the disc assessment, yes. there's other assessments, of course, but someone who has more of that personality would fit better in a surgery role than, let's say, a, a, an L&D role. Now, having said all that, can Ds be in a, an L&D? Of course. Can a, can a non-D be in a surgery role? Probably, but not likely. Okay. So... <laughs> Yeah. So you start, to, you start to figure out when you ask the right questions and, and, and in recruitment and in life in general, you'll find that the right type of question is the key. And I'll bridge this by saying my experience in, at, at DeVry really was valuable because we had four quadrants while we were interviewing. And I'm trying to remember all four, but I'll just tell you the basics. Sure. The four quadrants were questions that we needed answers to before closing the interview. Okay. So it's kind of like me saying to you, Tara, I need four answers, very specific questions answered before we, we end this call. Okay. Okay. I need this, 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 and this. So for us, the four were financial support, and program, and I'm trying to remember the fourth, but the point is, is that when you hear something that someone says, you, as you are doing on this, you're trying to figure out, should I follow up on that or wait, that takes us way too far to the other direction. I'm gonna stay on this topic. And so you get well-practiced at determining what, taking the intake piece or taking the information about what the job entails and what is desired in the job from the manager, merging it with what is being said from the candidate that goes beyond the education beyond the money what is it that is a good fit personality wise with that job and then allowing them to to tell you so it's not good enough that i know it's more important that that person knows i want to be an LD nurse because of these three reasons not because i want you to be that but because you want to be that and you're able to articulate and 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 sometimes it's just a quick question. Sometimes it's a simple question: is why are you moving on for your old job? Right. Um, okay. Or why? What got you into nursing? You just graduate from nursing school. Why this profession? Or and open-ended questions are your friend. You you want to avoid the closed-ended questions to find out more. So the difference from the clinical internally is different from job to job. And then the difference between the clinical and the non-clinical besides the skill set, the education, the pay is again, the type of mindset that you're talking to, the type of person, why would you want to be in environmental services? But more importantly, why would you want to be in environmental services in a hospital setting? Right. Because I could go, I could be in environmental services in dozens of different companies, the targets of the world, the schools of the world, all kinds of places to be in that. Why the hospital? That is the most important question to be asked. So it just depends on the nature of the job and the nature of what it is that drives that person into that job. And usually you can discover that within just five, 10 minutes of conversation.
0: When you were sharing that whole piece there, that just made me think like, and it made me realize that there's a lot of psychology behind the recruitment. And of course, like just the HR umbrella in general, I hate to say it this way, but like the strategy of the questions, like to figure out the personality and what attracted them to possibly Ohio health or that specific department or that specific role. Cause you're trying to fit the puzzle pieces in there just to make sure that it is like a completed puzzle. You're able to make something out of that. But it made me think that there's a whole art and science to the recruitment and the relationship building of HR, for sure, again, not trying to put words in your mouth, but that's like the sense that I got from it when you were sharing that.
1: Yeah, and I'll steal one of my old boss's sayings, he loved to say this all the time. And we were talking about quotes, which quotes are basically us putting together a number to present to the candidate to say, this is the number we'd like to offer to you. And he Mm -hmm. used to say this to me all the time. He said that quoting is more of an art than a science and what he meant by that is is that yeah we have to follow protocols and matrices based upon what compensation puts together based on a market analysis based on a whole bunch of other things but at the end of the day it isn't that static it isn't that finite it's hey 50 cents a dollar for for an hourly job or 5000 10000 20000 for a salary job could be appropriate or inappropriate depending upon uh, different types of criteria and so now you're getting away from a science and you're getting more toward the art of what do you mean by that like why would you give someone five thousand dollars more than you would give the same person for the same experience and the answer should be there should be data points to that answer it shouldn't be well i just like this person not the right answer you know well I, i gave the last person a couple thousand what's the point in worrying about this guy a couple thousand not the right answer. The right answer really is taking the artistic side of it or the and artistic as being a little bit open-minded piece of the numbers and say, why are we landing at this particular number when if we moved up five thousand dollars and we kept equity within the department, we would get this person. And that's where it goes away from science and more into the the artistic side of it, if you will. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, well, no, again, you're so good at that. Thank you for sharing that because it just allows me to get a glimpse of the role that you do and the role of talent acquisition and, and HR too, and that there's an art and science behind it, but it tends to be more towards the art side. So again, thank you for always sharing all these little nuggets. I'm definitely taking away a lot of information here and I feel like the audience will for sure. So thank you. Kind of my next question then. So real quick, I have a really good friend that works in higher education with career services. So she helps out with networking and resume building and trying to figure out maybe what career path they want to go down as far as their degree and and all that fun stuff as well. So whenever I talk to her, she's always telling me there's always constant changes or new trends coming within H.R., So kind of my question for you then, what trends or changes have you seen in HR and talent acquisition either now or do you think for seeing in the next like five to 10 years? I'm just curious to get your viewpoint on that.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I I will say this, um, just kind of start with, I'm not an expert on trends by any means or technology. However, you know, having said all that, it doesn't take a lot to figure out that technology is the trend Um, meaning that you know how you use technology is important analytics of the data you have and then how do you use the technology itself to be more efficient and effective and one of the things i can tell you for sure, is that companies are now foregoing this, what we call screening, that 10 minutes, that 15 minute conversation, which I would have with a candidate over the phone to just get the assessment of whether worth moving forward or not. They are now using videos. So for example, if if we were to do this at Ohio Health, we would send out a link for them to record answers to to very specific questions. And those questions could be for environmental services as simple as, um, why do you want to be in environmental services at a hospital? Um, Tell me a little bit about when you had a difficult customer. And the interesting thing is, is that they have to record the answers to those questions. And then that data just comes back to that, um, that talent acquisition recruiter and we hit play And we go, oh, not professionally dressed. Gosh, really struggles with the language. Again, for the right reasons, meaning that it's just maybe they're using jargon or whatever. We're not discriminating. Because that's the other thing you have to be very careful. That's a whole other conversation about being careful (laughs) about making judgments on, on the whole end with just little data points. But when you put all the data points together, then you make a decision based upon those those data points. So I will also say it's hugely important to take a survey that's filled out by a candidate, to take the interview taken by or conducted by the manager, to take the screening taken from us, to take the reference piece taken from, from others and put them all together to make a capacious decision and not make an isolated decision based on just one of those pieces. Because that's a whole nother conversation for another time but in short when you're when you're talking about diversity in hiring and you're talking about discrimination and you're talking about avoiding biases which we all have we all have those biases yeah it's an art form and that's a whole nother piece so linking back if you have a video interview and it is, doesn't even include a live body think about that it's it's you recording it and then sending it in you you could do all that and still not have contact from a human being. I mean, you, you could do all that and still not even hear my voice. It could just be, hey, I thought she looked interesting on paper. Let's see what she does with these questions. Boom, here's a series of 10. I'm going to pick three out the door and then click there goes your decline letter or kind of keep you warm letter, meaning that we're saying, hey, we're considering other candidates. If we decide to, to select you, we'll let you know. That's certainly one way that I know for sure that companies are using technology.
0: Wow. And that's just very eye-opening too. And when you finish on that piece, as far as there may be no human interaction or contact, it's almost like taking the human out of human resources, you know, but you're right that like technology can be a really good thing, but you mentioned there, there's a lot of other layers or components to consider like the video and the survey and talking to the hiring manager as well. You know, you want to make a great first impression, but there's still a lot to consider and technology can be your best friend or worst enemy at that point if you don't use it right. So, I never even knew that, like, technology really existed, I guess. So next question then I have for you. I always like to ask everybody this question. My question then is, regardless of the title or the position you hold at Ohio Health or anywhere that you work for, what do you think is a characteristic or a trait that everybody should embody no matter what?
1: That is a fantastic question because I would argue that there are elements of any position, whether it be professional or even personally, you know, that are key and critical. Leadership is a choice, right? And it is a skill. Now, people think that you're born into leadership and we all, anybody who studied leadership for five minutes knows that's not true. Right. Um, ultimately, it, it's a skill set that's built. So the question isn't, are you a leader? The question is, where are you a leader? Because if you're a parent, guess what? You're a leader. If you are uh, have subordinates and your title isn't manager or supervisor, but there are people that are looking up to you because you've been doing the job three years and they've been doing the job for three minutes, guess what? You're a leader. The question isn't whether you're a leader. The question is, you know, how are you manifesting, um, you know, yourself as a leader and what how approachable are you how are you articulating the desire to continue to grow and learn and i think the great divide is also in a adaptable spirit and in a learning uh spirit i think if you if you've got someone who's who's striving for leadership qualities has adaptable and and their ability to To move forward in any capacity, again, both personally and professionally, and really looks at the third component as well, then I think you got a lot of good qualities there. And I would argue even someone, let's say, who is far removed from a skill set, let's say they're in the same arena, they're just picking on nursing for a second. Let's say you've got someone who is an L&D nurse and they're trying to jump over to surgery and you go, well, they don't know squat about surgery. Well, hold on a second. What is a C-section? That's surgery. So let's not jump to conclusions that maybe the general skill set isn't in communion with on some level, the overall. Now, is there a gap to fill? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't just take an L&D nurse who did a few C-sections or supported C-sections, throw them into surgery and say, you're good to go. I mean, that's not going to work. But I can take the pieces. And if they're adaptable, if they are willing to grow and take that skill set, then guess what? They're probably not going to struggle as much as we think in a surgery role when they came from that environment. So again, leadership is huge if we can find that desire in others, the desire to be adaptable and the desire to grow in their knowledge. If you give me those three things all the time, I would argue I would find a place for any human being that that pursues those three things um, because at the end of the day, that's the great divide.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. The three characteristics that you brought up, as you mentioned, is the great divide as well. And I also want to point out, I thought we had a really great mindset and response to leadership. Yeah, you may not have the title, but if you have people that are seeking to you for guidance or if you're helping to like co-lead on a project, that exuberates leadership qualities. You know, you don't have to have the title to prove that you are a great leader. And really good point there too. A lot of people think that you're born into being a leader, but we know 99% of the time that's not the case. And I agree with you as well. I feel like as you always have a desire to learn and you have that adaptability piece you will be able to make it far up the ladder wherever you want to go professionally and personally as well. So I agree with you. Those are three great characteristics for anybody to have regardless of what they do in life. And I will say um, other people I've talked to as well, it's almost been the same across the board. So like the three characteristics you've shared, I feel like plenty of other people have said that. So that's been interesting to see.
1: Yeah, what that tells me is that life, you know, people aren't that different and that the universal nature of our You know our purpose and and how we operate is really not that different. There's there are nuances, there are cultural pockets, there um, there are education pieces. Meaning that some people have more experience. When I say education, I don't necessarily even mean formal education. But this this could be from a mentor. This could be from a job that you've been on for ten years, and this could be from your kids. Education is education. Um, So the the question isn't is just how you use it. And I'm a huge fan of the what I call the practical application of knowledge. And I, my, my guess is you, if you Google it, maybe I've stolen it from somewhere, but I love that idea. And when someone asked me, what do you mean by the practical application of knowledge? I mean, knowledge is, you know, you, you could say this more in a, a, a wisdom versus knowledge, you know, piece. You can say there's wisdom and there's knowledge. What's the difference between the two? Are they synonyms? They're not. Wisdom is the application of over time. Knowledge is I could have knowledge in three minutes of, about how my door opens and closes. Right. But that, how do I apply that knowledge if I'm a if I'm a mechanic or if I'm a you know a handyman? So those are the the great divide. But I I think it's interesting to take resources that you have in front of you and utilize them according to practical application. And that is if I have a PhD in chemistry. My question shouldn't be, how much more education should I get? My question should be, how do I use the knowledge that I have already earned? And I think that's a, also a really big gap sometimes where people are doing something for a long time and they just assume, I'm going to get hired because I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been a, I've been a chemistry professor. There's not going to be an issue for me to land a chemistry job outside of you know, academia. Well, wait a second. There's a difference you're a professor versus someone who's been in a chemistry role at a lab or something like that. Those are two different things. There's a practical application and knowledge, and then there's the theoretical application and those there's, there's merits to both of them. But at the end of the day, the show me piece is the most important piece. What do you know? How do you know it? And show me that you know it. And so ideally you merge all those worlds and then you have a really, really awesome person in front of you, a candidate or a friend or whoever that can really articulate their knowledge. And that's what I see as, the, as really big, that like the bigger picture for, for hiring is, can you see that person stepping into that room and just showing what they know? Not talking about it, just physically showing what they know.
0: That's a very excellent point. That just makes me think of If you can talk to talk, hopefully you can walk the walk, right? And that's a very interesting piece you bring up with the whole application. Like knowledge, you can gain that from going on Google or reading an article on CNN or something like that. But what do you do with that knowledge and how do you apply that to currently what you're doing as well? So I thought that was a really good and interesting piece you brought up there. So thank you for sharing that too. So to wrap it up here, whenever I talk to somebody... I always focus on their professional side, but I also want to get to know them personally. So as I mentioned earlier in the intro, one of the things I know about you is that you have big passion for music. So I'm just curious to know more about that passion, like what makes you like music or how did you get into music? And I also know you're part of the Harmony Project as well. So if you wouldn't mind sharing more about that awesome organization as well. So
1: go right sure. on ahead. <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, lots there. And I'll, I promise I'll keep this one short because I have to rein myself in for this. So you, sure. don't, you don't have another hour. But in <laughs> short, this is something that I actually studied in undergrad. I have a, a degree in music. I was a classically trained tenor and that was not by schedule or by planning i went into undergrad when i was you know 18 and i said okay cool music sounds fun but i'm going to do psychology and i was a psych major for 2 years and it i just didn't like the direction i was going so i switched to music and had already started taking music classes so i have uh, everything from obviously voice classes to piano to guitar uh, some pedagogy so some education uh, type things. Of course, music theory, things of that nature. I uh, was in musicals and plays and stuff like that through high school and then also college. And I graduated with a degree in music and a capstone in music therapy. So I researched music therapy. I think it was a 30-page paper about killed me. I'm not much of a writer. So 30 pages is is about 27 pages too long for me. Oh my god! But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh boy. So I ended up um, researching music therapy, thinking that music therapy would be something that I would do professionally. Found out music therapy is East Coast, West Coast. Now, when I say East Coast, West Coast, I mean, California, New, New York, New Jersey, you know, I mean, those tend to be the places where music therapy is thriving. Not to say it doesn't exist, you know, in the South or the Midwest or whatever. I'm sure it does, but it seems like that's where it was. And at the time, I wasn't interested in moving. So, you know, starting a family and all that. And so I said, now, you know, I'm going to go into, into events coordination, which, uh, which also allowed me to use music. But so the education piece with music is there. On top of it, I've always sang in choirs. Um, I've also been a part of marching band and played a clarinet through high school and then played guitar uh, through through college as well as a little bit of piano. And then I have also joined uh, church choirs as well in the past. And then the Harmony Project came along about four years ago. I was talking to a colleague at Ohio Health, and um, we were at our, our event in December, our awards ceremony, banquet ceremony at Ohio Health. I, I, for yeah. some reason, it's alluding me. But anyway, um, we were there, and the Harmony Project was singing. And I looked to some of my friends, and I said, okay, who are these people? (laughs) Like, like, I get the whole, you know, we need some entertainment during this award ceremony, but right? And then I noticed some associates from Ohio Health were in the Harmony Project. And I thought, oh, okay, well, cool. I guess I'll try out. No, you don't try out. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, then I I guess I'll, you know, write the right people, you know, talk to the right people, network. Well, not really, because there's a list. And if you're not in the top... You know, hundred, then it's going to be a wait. And I was like, "Well, how the heck do I get into this thinking organization?" Like, (laughs) that's that's annoying. Like, how do I do? I don't try out. I don't know somebody. So, so one day I got an email from the organization saying, "You're you're in. You're on the list, and we'll get back with you." And a few months went by, and I finally got that email confirmation that I was in in the project, and that the requirement it's the only requirement for you to be in Harmony Project and to remain as a good standing person is to be a volunteer. And you have to volunteer eight hours every, what they call semesters, but before they were calling them, you know, sessions, terms, whatever you want to say. But in short, there are two sessions, if you will, or two different distinct parts of a harmony project in the year. One is kind of that spring to summer concert, or I would say early, late winter practices to the summer concert in June. And then there's the post, you know, little summer break. And then there's the fall, September, October, November, December, leading up to the December concert, which has been at Nationwide Arena um, in the last four years, maybe. Wow. So we have had our last concert, which would have been December of last year, just before COVID, had about 10,000 people at it. So pretty big. Um, yeah. And on top of that, the fun part of the volunteering is it's very capacious, meaning that you can volunteer wherever you want personally, and you'll get half those hours. And the other remaining hours, you have to volunteer through the Harmony Project. But the capacious piece is that there's so many different things. So if you go, well, I'm not volunteering for the schools. I ain't doing that. But you're not the United way I don't believe in them. No, I'm not volunteering for a church. I'm not a believer. Okay, fine. Cross them all off. You can go and, and volunteer at a tent sale <laughs> with, uh, you know, Best Buy or something, or if, assuming that there's a relationship on some level, of course. We sure, don't choose sure. those. Those are displayed. So I volunteered at a community in Columbus, an in inner city Columbus, and it was at a community center. And I, hold on to your hats, I posed art. I posed art, which basically means the local people who were, not local artists, as in they're well-known, local artists as in they're in the community and they want to put art together and display it. And we came into that and we were able to take their physical artwork and put it on easels and on the wall and present it so that when people came through the community center, they could see their art. That was one of the things that I did to volunteer. And I can be here all day telling you the other ones, but it's just (laughs) a lot. Yeah. It's just a lot of interesting. um, It's a service approach first. And in fact, you don't even have to sing a note. In fact, there are several people in our organization who probably, if you heard them, you might run the other direction. Like, (laughs) how did they make a choir? Like, because there's 500 of us. All right. So 500 people in the central Ohio area that have come together to serve the community and then additionally get to perform in in concert uh, at two major venues. One, uh, Columbus Commons is one in in the summer and Nationwide Arena in December.
0: Well, that's really cool. Well, thank you for sharing more information on the Harmony Project. I feel like most people in the community have heard about it, but don't really know a lot about it. So thank you for sharing that. I know when you were talking to me about it, I was interested. I believe I'm on that list. So I'm patiently waiting for that email to come in. (laughs) Kind of like you growing up, like I did more of the choir and the theater. Like I've never played a single musical instrument in my life, but there's just something about singing that I really liked when I was young. It was just like fun and It just, you got to be creative that way too. And I felt like I haven't done anything like that in a while. So hopefully I can get with the Harmony Project. And I love how there's a service component with it, with the volunteering. It's not like you have to, like you said, you don't have to try out and sing a part of a song to get into the group or anything like that. It's just, in order to be in good standing, they want you to go out and volunteer. And that's just a beautiful thing that everybody should be doing, regardless. There's always a lot of different volunteer opportunities out there. And I find it very rewarding when I get to do that.
1: yeah. And I want to be honest with you. If you would have said, you you take someone who has a master's in HR and then you back it up and you say, but they really truly have musical roots and they're undergrads in music and they were in plays and, you know, in choirs. And you would have said, yeah, this guy's going to, he's going to make something. Maybe he won't be full-time as a musician because there's a tremendous amount of sacrifice that's required to do that. He'll be a good, he'll be an awesome performer in the community. I would have said, sure, I can do that. But if you would have said that I would have performed in front of 10,000 people at Nationwide Arena in this type of a setting, I would have said you're crazy because there's no precedent for it. There's no reason to think that I would do this and to be able to try out for a solo to do so and potentially in the future, God willing, you know, we get back to this organization having practices. And right now, of course, respectfully, we are on leave until further notice, but yeah. you get a chance to sing in front of people at, at an arena like that. Um, and, and in any, really, it, it, whether it be the Columbus Commons or Nationwide, it's just people are paying to come in to see you. If you would have said you were going to do that, I would have said, eh, not likely because I'm probably not going to be a performer um, and be a paid you know, musician. I thought you would have been crazy. So it's, it's just a really unique niche. And, and more importantly, it's something to be proud of. I, I don't, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be proud if you're an opera star in New York City or, or you're a local musician making a living. By all means, absolutely. But this is such a a, a good marriage for me of both the musical passion and the, the heart or that superhero helping piece for me. And it's a good merger of those two. And I, I would say if anyone has either of those two, jump in because it's, it's a great, a great... Um, way to to not only make yourself feel like you're giving and contributing to the world but also to be a great example for other people who who say yeah, i can't do that i can't sing or i i'm not really good in the community service stuff out whatever i would say if you have any indication or inkling of that jump in see where where you swim to because you never know
0: <laughs> wow Thank you for sharing that and honest to God, I can't think of a more perfect way to wrap up the conversation with what you just shared there as well. So on that note, I again want to thank you, Brent, for uh, joining me today. I've certainly have learned a lot from you, both professionally and personally. I definitely feel like the audience is going to find inspiration in one way or another. So again, thank you for joining me today and coming to the table with me.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for giving me a voice.
0: remember to be kind to yourself and one another. And remember, if you don't have an invite to the table, make your own. This is Table Talk with Tara.